Jesus risked it all to rescue us. He died on the cross. He shed his blood to save sinners like you and I. And so our sins wouldn't just be covered over, but they would actually be removed, that we would be seen as God's righteous children. Each week we have that privilege of remembering and celebrating that rescue story. What an amazing story it is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. People like you and I, he he came to save our neighbors and our friends. He came to save those we love and those we don't even like very much. He came to save us all. Man, let's give glory to Jesus again for that rescue story. There's nothing like a good rescue story. How many of you uh, enjoy a rescue story, maybe in te- television, a book, or a movie? You know, let's, you know just, man, they, they ring true to our hearts. We all want to be a part of that. I was thinking about uh, what rescue stories that our culture loves the most. So I just asked you on social media this week, and many of you responded within an hour. Uh, there were multiple rescue stories. I can't get to them all today. But the first one that resounded in my heart, that touched my heart when I first saw it as a teenager, was Schindler's List. The devotion of one man with with great resources to save many. I remember that scene where he uh, realized he had a watch left, and and, and he he said, this could have been another life, another person that was rescued. We understand that he saved about 12,000 Jews from being put to death during the Holocaust. What, What a great rescue story. Here's another rescue story with great passion, not not quite as historically accurate, probably as fictional completely, but how many of you have seen the movie Taken? Okay, Liam Neeson, Neeson plays this gentleman where his daughter is, is taken from him and she's being held hostage for ransom and he's got to come to the rescue. And he is that perfect guy for the job, if you know what I'm talking about. We're going to watch this clip of, uh, of him communicating to the people that have kidnapped his daughter and they're in for it. Watch this clip. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Now, if you've seen that show, he's not talking to the, the boyfriend who's taking the girl late out one night. He's talking to a guy who's literally uh, kidnapped her. That, guys, we're tempted to do that with our daughters. But you see the passion of this guy saying, I'm going to rescue my daughter. What a great rescue story. Uh, one that came across our, the Graber family household in the last decade, maybe even longer than that. It's probably older than that is not as, a, not as quite as violent as Taken, but it's Finding Nemo. How many of you love Finding Nemo? Great rescue story. This was my boy's favorite movie for a long time. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. It's just a, a passion story, again, of a father looking for a son. Man, I see a parallel of what God would do for us and even greater, what he would do to rescue us. One that probably caught my heart more than any, though, is Saving Private Ryan. 
as I watched this movie, uh, I could watch it again, and the commitment of an entire team uh, of soldiers going after just one. You're going to know that's a resounding uh, uh, focus on today, that, that God wants us to go after this one. Uh, but th- this entire team uh, went out to save this one man's life, and it matters. Or how about this one, Toy Story. In all the Toy Story uh, different films, there's this sense of rescue. Uh, But one of the main characters of Toy Story uh, definitely has as his motto that he is going to rescue. Watch this clip. Thank you. Now, thank you all for your kind welcome. Say, what's that button do? I'll show you. Buzz Lightyear to the rescue. Pretty impressive, right? Buzz Lightyear to the rescue. It it sets up the, the concept that they're going to need a rescue later in life. Later in the movie, we all do. I think that's why we're drawn to rescue. Uh, One of the rescue uh, movies that I don't understand quite as much, but maybe is the biggest blockbuster of recent rescue movies. It's the mother of all Marvel rescue movies that's set in the uh, the metaverse, whatever that means, the Avengers Endgame. Can anybody explain to me the metaverse completely? All right. It's confusing or whatever, but, but our culture is drawn to this desire to rescue. I bring all this up to get you thinking. We're on a rescue mission. And all good rescue stories have at least one thing in common. It's not that the main character is played by Liam Neeson or Tom Hanks. Think about that for a second. Almost every movie they're in has something to do with rescue. But it's this, that all main characters at some point choose to go outside of their comfort zone, outside of their safety, and to go out to save someone that's lost. And it makes for a powerful story, uh, but really it's our story. I wonder who you would leave the comfort of your home, maybe the comfort of your life, the comfort of your safety to rescue with Jesus. As church, as Christians, that's what we're called to do. We are on mission with Jesus to grow out by going out to rescue. Make no mistake about it, we are on the largest rescue mission the world has ever seen. I'll say it again. I believe we're on the largest rescue mission the world has ever seen. You might say, well, what about D-Day? D-Day is an amazing testimony of the resilience of the world against evil, but it pales in comparison to what the church has set out to do with Jesus. What about the rescue mission of 9-11 when the towers came down and we're trying to find people that are lost and people that are hurt? It doesn't even hold a candle to what we're on the rescue mission with Christ. And those orders come from Jesus himself from Matthew chapter 28. We see our rescue mission before us. Jesus says to us, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has given us this commission, these orders, to go on rescue mission with him. We are his co-workers. We talked about that last week. And we must go out like Jesus did. Last week we talked about two simple things as we go out uh, that we're to do like Jesus did. It's this, we're to care for the lost and then connect them to the good news that they can be saved. And you can do that. But you must be able to share with them. Paul puts it this way. He says, how can they, those that need rescued, believe in Jesus if they've never heard about him? Or how can they hear about him Unless someone tells them. You know who that is that's to tell them? It's not just me. It's more importantly each of us. Do you know that 75% of non-Christians say they would listen to a close friend share about their faith? 
You guys all have friends, close friends. 75% of them are ready to listen to you uh, share about what you're excited about Jesus and about your faith and what uh, makes you uh, have hope for the future in this dark world. 75% of them want to know what gives you joy. The other 25% aren't ready yet, but 75% of them are. And only 29% of those same people say anyone's ever talked to them about Jesus and their faith. We're missing the mark. Why? Because I think a dangerous mindset creeps into our minds and our hearts that often comes from within, that, that we're good, that we don't need to reach out anymore, that, you know, we're kind of getting back to normal. Uh, uh, a little uh, newsflash, normal didn't work that well two years ago. If we just want to get back to normal, we're just going to be surviving. And, and here's the reality, that 75% of people are ready to listen, and yet we don't go out to many of them because it's uncomfortable, it's hard. The mindset that we don't really need to reach out anymore is false, and sadly it comes from within even the religious. Look with me to our text for today from Jesus' life. If you have your Bibles, you want to follow along, it's in Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Jesus is about ready to tell a great story, a rescue story, and it's a parable, but it's set up by a need that he sees around because he's there ministering to those that need saved. And notice the religious leaders are like, hey, you don't, you don't really want to be doing that, Jesus. Look what it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. It doesn't say some of them. It doesn't say 75% of them or 29% of them. For whatever reason, and it's because he's God in the flesh, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered. You know who these were? These were the religious leaders. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They muttered that. They kind of said that with great uh, disdain. They're like, why is Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners? Oh, well, doesn't he know that we've got this under control? Doesn't he know we kind of have it figured out the way we want? Why is Jesus caring and connecting with these just people that are despised? Jesus senses this. He knows it full well. So look what he says in response to their muttering, their grumbling. Then Jesus told them this parable. It's just a story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? He doesn't even give them time to answer. He's got, he, he, it's a rhetorical question. He says, of course he's going to go. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And I wonder who you're more like today. There's three characters to this. Are, are you more like the sinner? And that's fine. If you're here and you're lost, you're in the right place. Are you passionately going after them and wanting to spend time with them, caring, connecting, and being ready in that relationship? Or are you more like the teacher's law saying, oh, we've got this the way we want it? What are you doing with these rotten people? Which are you? Jesus says, we're, we're going to joyfully go after just one. Jesus goes after one always. He's went after each of us if we have salvation through him. And we see a recurring theme in this passage. It brings joy. In just a little bit, we believe there's going to be at least two baptisms. There may be more today. Uh, God's in control of that. But one thing that happens every time that happens is great joy as someone who, re who repents of their sin and gives their life to Christ and is made new. And we grow out. So how are we going to do that? We're going to grow out as we grow out for one person at a time on this rescue mission. Who is it that needs rescued then? It's the person that's lost. 
But do you, who, who is it really? Uh, do you know that 70% of people in the United States of America identi- identify themselves as a Christian? You're like, okay, we're only working with 30%. I, I think that number's off. Because in that same survey, only 10% of everyone surveyed say, I actually am willing to follow a biblical worldview. So is it 70 or is it 10 who are lost? It's probably somewhere in the middle. In fact, that same survey went on to say one of the specific things that they went on to say if you're really a follower of Christ is how are you saved? And they came up with this research that roughly 30% of the United States population claims salvation through Jesus and his death on the cross and resurrection. Everyone else claims that they're a Christian because they're good enough, they give enough, uh, they're from the right family, uh, they're from the right side of the tracks, whatever it may be, but only 30% of the United States population claims salvation in Jesus. Uh, Based on what the Word of God says, that's the only way to be saved. No one comes to Father unless they're through the Son. So we have a lot of friends that are good people, that we love, that we hang out with, that we work, but they're lost because they're not trusting Jesus. And some come here and some don't. In fact, there may be someone in the room today that has been in church most of their life and is still lost because they think they're good enough to get there. Salvation comes through the blood of Jesus and the fact we're made new and our sins are forgiven by him. That's the good news. So if you do the numbers, though, if 30% of people really know they can be saved through Jesus and have accepted that, that means 70 need to be rescued, 70%. Our rescue mission to go out and share the good news is to rescue those who who are trying to be saved by any other means or don't even know they need to be saved. So if you do the math in Greenville with around 7,000 people, that means about 4,900 people are lost. That's our rescue mission field. If if you go to Bond County, there's about 16,000 people. That means about 11,200 people are lost and need to be saved. If you go 25-mile radius around Bond County, there's over 100,000 people that do not know salvation comes through Jesus. That is our rescue mission. Amen? There's a lot of people, and that's intimidating at times. So how are you going to start? You're going to go out with one, just like Jesus said. And here's a newsflash. Most of them aren't coming to us. They're ready to listen to you, but they're not going to come to you. They're they're definitely not coming to church. If you're here today and you've not been invited by somebody, I am so thankful for you're here. You are like a unicorn. You you don't show up in today's world anymore. People come to church because someone invites them or someone brings them here. An example of that is right in front of me today. I'm so excited about what I see. People uh, pursue people. If you're here today and you've never been invited by any other than God, uh, God is working your heart. You are special. If you're here today because someone invited you, you're special. If you are here today and you've been saved for a long time, praise God. But we need to understand this as a church family. People, for the most part, aren't wandering in here asking how to be saved. In fact, since the last two years we've lived in, there's been the greatest decline in church culture that the world in the United States history has ever seen. People are like, I don't really need church. I, I think if I can just survive on my own, I'll be okay. It's a lie from hell. So we need to continue to go out. My mentor and I were talking about that this week, about our desire to grow out by going out, by reaching one at a time. And he said, Tyson, have you ever read the, the book uh, Bloodstained Pews? He said, I came across this book just two weeks ago, and I had never heard of it. He had never heard of it. Has anybody ever heard of this book? It is an amazing read. It is, it is not a history book, but it is also um, not just a spiritual book. It, it blends what we see in, in the world and, and what God is doing in the life of the church together. But it starts much like a history book. 
the book opens up in a, very early on Tuesday morning, June 6, 1944. Does anybody remember what day that is? D-Day. One of the greatest rescue stories of all times. And it opens up there focused on two young Air Force uh, medics who were in the 101st Airborne Division as medics at 19 years old. And they're about ready to be dropped behind enemy lines in France, behind uh, the Nazi forces, to help rescue those that are hurt. Their names are Kenneth Moore and Robert Wright. Can you imagine what these two young men are feeling like on D-Day at 3 a.m. in the morning in a plane? I want you to get a feel of what they went through by watching this clip of the newsreel from 1944. The greatest news story in 1944, D-Day, H-Hour. That fateful moment for which the whole world held its breath. But in the night hours of D-Day minus one, long before these first assault boats nosed onto the beach, American fighting men, troop carriers, paratroops, airborne infantry and glidermen were already there. This picture is a small tribute to those men, living and dead, who went in before H-Hour on D-Day. They took those ships off the ground like it was just another practice run. For them, I guess it was. After all, they were going to have to fly it again and again, all night and the next day, only under fire. And that's no fun when you figure that these C-47s haven't any armor, no guns and have to fly low over the dropping zones, straight as on a bombing run. After we hit the channel and started across, every light went out. We had no idea where we were when we got the order to stand up and hook up. That came so quick we didn't have time to do much thinking before we were over the side and starting that 400-foot drop into France. Thousands of us. Can you imagine the effort that was given to save the world as we know it? The, the, the lives that were risked, the lives that were given. And two of those that laid their life on the line that morning were Kenneth Moore and Robert Wright. One and two of 13,000 paratroopers that were dropped behind enemy lines in, French, in, in France uh, to, to try to cut off the supplies to, to the Nazi forces to begin the, the, the ground attack during D-Day. This was a new war tactic that wasn't fully developed. In fact, it was slightly chaotic, to say the least. Uh, many of these 13,000 paratroopers uh, dropped in darkness under enemy fire, and they landed miles and miles away from their in intended uh, destination. And most of them also landed miles apart from their supplies. This was true of also of Moore and Wright. They landed near a small town in France at 3 a.m., and as soon as they hit the ground, fighting broke out between uh, the German forces and, and the Allied forces. And, and uh, Wright says under testimony that, that he knew that it was war as he heard multiple bullets buzz by his head. He knew it was intense. 
And people began to be injured immediately. So Wright and Moore uh, began to look around for where they could care for uh, the soldiers that were hurt, both from uh, German forces and allied forces, where they could care for these men. And they located in that little town a church. This is what the church looks like. It's the actual church. It was 900 years old. Go ahead and show us a picture of that church if you can. Um, this, this was the church that Wright and Moore found, and they, they decided that they were going uh, to set up a hospital. Uh, they, they didn't have any supplies. They had three weeks of training, but they had a passion to save lives. So they put a, a red cross on the doors of the church, signifying it was a place where people could be helped if they were hurt. Soldiers began to find a way to the church. Even two civilians uh, caught in the crossfire uh, found a way inside the church. And they began to treat people. They began to help people. And on the pews, what was amazing, they laid out the soldiers that were bleeding and they began to have bloodstains all around them and on them. During the, the night, Moore decided to leave the safety of the church as they were caring for just a few soldiers that were wounded. And he located an old farming cart. And he picked up the cart and began to push it through the countryside to find more soldiers that were wounded that couldn't even walk to the church. And he would throw them in the cart and then wheel them back to the church. And they would work on them together until they would get stable again. And then he would leave the safety of the church and go do it again and again and again. Very early in the morning, right before dark, right before it was daylight, a German soldier came into the church and pointed his gun right at right and more. And a German soldier who was also being cared for yelled in German and says, uh, don't shoot them. They are caring for anyone, no matter what uniform they have. And so then the soldier made this sign and left. A little bit later, three German officers came into the church to verify what was going on. And they talked to the medics, and they said that they would send a doctor to offer additional help as soon as they could. At one point uh, in the morning, uh, an artillery shell uh, hit the, the church ceiling, and uh, the, the church ceiling uh, kind of came apart, and part of the, the roof came down and hit Wright and injured him pretty severely. But both Wright and Moore continued to meet the needs of the bloody soldiers that were laying in the pew, soaking the pew. And for the next 36 hours, they came and went, finding a total of 80 soldiers that they cared for, along with two civilians. And over those 36 hours, only two people lost their life because of the great care of Wright and Moore. Both of these men went on to receive the Silver Star, and Wright received the Purple Heart. Now, when the war was over, the town was rebuilt, but they didn't know what to do with the church for a little while. They didn't even know if the church would begin to regather. The people were uh, uh, kind of like displaced for the, uh, the ma major part. The church had been disbanded for a while. And so they didn't do anything for the church. And then they decided, hey, we need to replace the stain stained glass windows. Uh, and they didn't really know what to do. So I don't know what to make of this, but they replaced them with paratroopers instead of Jesus on the cross. In remembrance of what happened that June 6th morning. But they decided to keep the pews. The bloodstained pews. All of them had blood on them. It was a little bit awkward at first to come down and sit in these pews to worship. But the pastor thought this was going to be a great reminder that the church, whatever the church is, as we come together, that we need to be, always be ready to go out into the world and get those that are hurting, those that are bleeding, uh, those that are a mess, and bring them back in for the care that Jesus provides. And it was a great inspiration for a long time. But then the church became like a lot of other churches in Europe. 
and those same thought, th- thoughts that came into those that were watch Jesus, uh, why are you hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors, crept into that church, and that church quit going out. And they forgot that the church is really meant to be a place for the sick and the hurting and those bleeding and those needing the care of Jesus instead of those that are healthy. Uh, the church is a beautiful thing when, it, when we understand that the pews are to be filled with people with messy lives that, that, that won't survive without the hope of the church, without the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, but oftentimes we sit back and we're kind of like those religious leaders. That we kind of like it this way and we're here to stay. We don't care who comes and goes as long as it's good for us. To be honest, you can still go to that church today. It's over right at 1,000 years old now. And the pews are still there. They're still stained with blood. Uh, The new uh, paratrooper uh, stained windows are there. Uh, The crack is still on the floor where the shell came down and cracked the floor through the roof. All that's still there. But you you know what's not there? People worshiping Jesus. No one goes to that church anymore to hear about the good news because the church quit going out. The church quit caring about people around them. And within one generation, it went from being a lighthouse for the hope of uh, of the hurting to a landmark that people just go to visit. It went from being a place where, where messy lives are made new to a museum for world war. And it breaks my heart. But here's the scary part. If we quit going out, if we quit growing out, when one generation, this will just be a museum of the community. This building. If we quit growing out and caring for people, uh, this will, will, will cease to be a place that matters. And I wonder if we care about that. See, that church in France quit growing out, but we can't afford to do that. We can't, not for the sake of the church building, but for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of uh, the 70,000 people surrounding Bond County and within Bond County, we must go out with the good news. See, that church forgot the main thing is sharing the gospel. But that can't be the case for GFCC. Not with a church that believes hope changes everything, the hope of Jesus. Not with a church uh, that loves God, loves people, and serves all. I want to highlight that fact that it serves all. It serves the people that look like you. It serves the people that don't. It serves the people you love and the people you don't even like. You're saying, Tyson, how far we take this? Uh, There's this little section right back there that has no one. What if that was a group of people that was totally different than anyone's ever been here today and they didn't get it at all? Would we be comfortable with them being in our midst? Would you be comfortable? Would you be willing to serve them, all of them, no matter who they are? Not with, we, we, we can't let it uh, stop us, not with a church that's committed to grow out with the gospel. So remember, there's over 11,000 people right here in Bond County that we believe are lost. And we were not going to let this place become a landmark or a museum. So how do we practically grow out and, and rescue the lost? I, I think we do it like Jesus in the parable. We grow out rescuing one at a time. One at a time. And if we all rescue one at a time, it multiplies over and over. You're like, Tyson, but there's 100,000 people. We don't have the resources. We don't have the connections. Uh, while God cares about each of those 100,000, we're responsible for rescuing one at a time. Sure, it's intimidating to think of 100,000 people, but God has not left us alone. The scripture says the Holy Spirit's with us to empower us. So let me ask you this. Who is that one that you know is hurting, that's lost, 
that needs rescued, the Holy Spirit's probably laying that on your heart. At one point, if you're saved, you were laid on the heart of someone else. So, so who is it that you're ready to rescue? Uh, the world around us is hurting, I believe, more than ever. Uh, people, you might, I don't really know anyone that needs rescued. Uh, make some new friends, okay? The world is full of people that are afraid and anxious. Our world's hurt right now. Did you know suicide rate is up 30% in the last few years? Drug abuse and alcohol abuse are not going away. Divorce and heartache in families is rising. A recent survey even said about suicide that you are more apt to be tempted with suicide and then be successful with suicide to that extent if you're in a rural area versus a metropolitan area. Guys, we are in the middle of a war for lives. And God calls us to rescue those that are hurting. Do we care? And if yes, what are we going to do? It starts with something simple. It starts with this. We're going to grow out rescuing one one at a time with millions of little moves. I hope you can remember that. We're going to grow out by making millions of little moves. You could also say it simpler than this. We're going to have baby steps as we reach out, as we do things. Uh, we're going to do things that really matter. First of all, it's that identifying someone that needs rescued and start praying for them. Start looking for open doors to have conversation with them. Uh, live out our mission. Love them and serve them. Start talking about your faith and what excites you about the hope we have in Jesus. Uh, celebrate some, some good things that are going on in your life. Let them in on the bad things. Let them know your life's not perfect and, and how you can have hope even in hard times through Jesus. Invite them. Not to church. You heard me. No, don't invite them to church to start out. Invite them to McDonald's, to your house, to hang out. And then definitely invite them to church. Uh, but start with a relationship and, and let them know you care. Let them know you're ready to serve them. And then be real with them about Jesus, that he is essential for their lives. Make a move. You're like, I'm not sure the move to make. Here, here, let me give you a little hint. The only move I know is wrong is no move at all. I've never regretted so far making a move on behalf of Jesus to someone. It doesn't always go well. Occasionally you'll run into that 25% of person that's not ready to listen, but I've never regretted it. But what I have regretted is not making a move and then missing an opportunity and that person being dead and gone or moving away. Those are the moves we regret when we don't move. So make a million little moves. And you know what God's going to do is he's going to move among us. But not moving out is unacceptable. Jesus, how many would he go out for to leave the 99? How many was it? One. I bet you know more than one. we got to go out. We also grow out rescuing one at a time, moving into their mess. If you thought the first point was tough, this is going to get harder. We're going to grow out being willing to move into their mess. First uh, Thessalonians, we're reading through starting today as a church. Uh, start with me, chapter 1 today. But Thessalonians, uh, the Thessalonica church is really good at, at realizing Jesus coming again. So they were really focused on growing out in the church in Thessalonica in the New Testament one thing also they started not doing is meeting together. And so Paul tells the church, make sure you don't neglect coming together. Because this is like, if we're, if we're soldiers, this is kind of like where we reconvene. This is where we grow strong. This is where we uh, get, get our marching orders. This is where we uh, kind of have our rally points. But we can't stay here. 
As much as this is a good place to share in communion, to hang out with friends, uh, to, to share a meal together, to be with one another, this is not where we're to live. This is where we're to gather, to have a rally point, and then we've got to go out to rescue the lost, to help the hurt, to, to be among their mass. It was 2005. I didn't realize how long ago it was till this week when my friend called me. He was a, a high schooler whenever this happened in 2005. It was a Wednesday afternoon. I was preparing for a youth group that night. Getting a lesson together was going to be, uh, from what I remember, I was excited about it. And all of a sudden, I got a call that this high school boy's dad had died. Come to find out, the thought was, among the extended friends, was his dad committed suicide. And he lived in Chicagoland. We were about 15 minutes from there, uh, from his dad's house. I'd never been there before. This young man did not live with his dad. We lived in Kanky County. He lived in Cook County. And uh, his, the son went off to to find out what happened to his dad, and I caught wind of that. So I left everything at the church in a moment. I left the church unlocked. Uh, I called uh, Tiffany and one of the elders saying, I probably won't be back for tonight. I'm going to, to see what's going on here. I remember going to the house just minutes after he was there, and he had just found his dad in the basement dead. Uh, the, the authorities were there, and it was a mess. Uh, we, I really don't have any idea what went on, uh, but this young man was passionate about what, what, what happened to his dad. And, and he called me this week. He says, Tyson, uh, do you recall that day? I said, absolutely. Do you know what happened to my dad? I said, I have no clue. He says, then why were you there? Why did you come to my dad's house that day? He goes, I just want to know. And I went on to tell him, that the reason I came was to show that I cared, to let him know that he wasn't alone. And he said, thanks for coming to my dad's house. One of the more difficult moments that I had, because within a few minutes there, uh, I tried to get him outside, and he was very focused on getting all the details, and there weren't many details to be had. But he called me this week because now he's got a son of his own, and he is still struggling with the loss of his father. And he's trying to make sure that he doesn't walk the path that his dad walked. And I tried to tell him that he has one thing that his dad unfortunately didn't, the hope of Jesus. Because that young man had started to come to our church about a year before uh, following a girl to church. They were both in the youth band together. And the only reason he came for the first six months was because his girlfriend came to church. And I was fine with that, okay? It's okay. But soon after his dad had passed away, they broke up. And I was wondering if they were not going to keep coming to church. Long story short... That young man kept coming to church, and his new extended family that he was brought into in that area, they started coming to church, and they all gave their life to Jesus in a matter of time. And as much as that was a messy situation, and he couldn't understand why I would go, I would go again today. I would go every day if it mattered that that family would come to know Jesus. I wonder who you would go into a messy situation. What messy situation would you run to in order to save someone? Uh, make no mistake, this is a rally point. This is the place we come for strength, encouragement, but we can't stay here. In fact, we set the alarm at night. You'll, you'll call, if you stay here, the cops will come. It's over. But the question is, are you willing to join the rescue mission to grow out? The beautiful thing for these two young men to come to salvation through Jesus and families have made that happen from within. But what about all those families, moms and dads, boys and girls don't know Jesus? Are we going to grow out to them? Or are we going to become a church that turns into a museum? 
in just a few moments, we're going to sing a song and ask the band to come. And there's two levels of commitment today that I would like to put before you. The first is pretty easy. If during this song, if you feel like you're ready to go out, just stand up. Would you stand with me as we sing this song? You can do that now. But here's the next level that's not as easy. As we sing, while the music is playing, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment that we can see visually to move in the room. If you're on the east wing or the west wing, why don't you go to the east? Or if you're upstairs in the balcony, come down front. If you're uh, somewhere in the room and you see someone that you know uh, that you need to encourage or, or, or help understand the love of Jesus, move and be with them. I, I think there's a space over here by Sue for someone to co come and set up on the stage. I'd love to see people uh, just move in the room, signifying that we are not going to become stagnant, but we're going to grow out and rescue with Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, let us move out from this place. Lord, if someone is here today and they already know who they're going to move towards, I pray they would leave the building now to be with that person, to share with them if they've been inspired to do so. Father, I thank you for the baptisms we're going to see today. But let us not be satisfied with growing within. Let's also grow out. In Jesus' name, amen.